0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Every single keystroke. What if the social media that you have open on your phone right now is also recording every single keystroke right now? Would it change what you're searching for? This week on Download This Show, one social media company has been accused of precisely this. But which one? Also on the show, can you influence online influencers to stop online misinfo? Try saying that 10 times fast. And Google has a very big win. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download This Show and we come with apologies. Um, the brilliant Kayla Cartilage from Our Songlines was supposed to be joining us. Um, I'm just going to say, I think the connection was slightly cursed. Um, we're really, really sorry that Kayla can't be joining us at this moment. We will try and get her back across the show. Uh, and we do send our apologies. We've had a, v- a few technical issues, which is weird for a technology program. Seamus Byrne uh, from BiteSide,
0: thank you for joining us on the program this week. Very welcome. Look, maybe one of the tech companies we're about to talk about is involved in some way, and you know, there's a conspiracy afoot. I don't know, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that. We'll try and get uh, Kayla on, on board. Uh, we wouldn't ordinarily have a show without her,
1: but we will try and get her back soon. First up this week, uh, big news in the world of Google. Google have won a court case which might have fairly significant ramifications for the entire
0: publishing industry, I'm going to say. Seamus, what happened? Yeah, so you know, there's been a really big case in recent years with Google involved here in Australia uh, related to whether or not... Google is a publisher when they reveal information through a search query, and you get that little snippet of what was said on that page, particularly in the context of news type items. Uh, and so they had ac- actually initially lost a court case against an individual who wanted them to you know, pay damages for defaming them through these little snippets. Uh, and in the High Court... I love court- how carefully you're avoiding individuals' names. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know your way around defamation law, <laughs> don't you? Uh, and, yeah, the High Court of Australia has actually, yeah, dismissed the earlier uh, finding against Google uh, and said, yep, Google is not a publisher and is therefore not responsible for any defamation that may occur. So, okay. Okay, so this is very specifically a case around Google and search
1: results, right? Would there be any part of this judgment that would be transferable to, say... A Facebook, Facebook, <laughs> Facebook, yeah. uh, Facebook, or a Twitter, or some of the other services that I think you know conceptually edge closer into publisher territory, or is this going to be one of those things that's really clearly demarked in in Google's land land space?
0: Yeah, look, I do think that it relates quite specifically to that idea of search, where you know we go about the process of uh, not uploading. A particular thing into Google and therefore displaying it, but rather that Google has. It's automated system that attempts to crawl everything that exists somewhere on the internet and in the process, just revealing that information that is published elsewhere in an automated way. Uh, and that's where I think there is that difference. You know, on Facebook, people upload it. Facebook does... Perform certain levels of uh, you know checks and you know and censorship within its platform. Likewise, sort of Twitter might do the same. Uh, that even if someone else is posting something to Twitter, again, it, they are posting it on Twitter, and Twitter is then disseminating that to the world. So there is definitely that distinction between what has been automated because it was published somewhere else and Google is just revealing it as a search result versus what is actually being put onto a platform specifically.
1: Had this court case not had this result,
0: what would Google have had to
1: change with their behaviour? Because it feels like this on a fundamental level, would have had a massive impact on it as a company and how it delivers people information.
0: Yeah, it really would have that. I love using the phrase chilling effect when it comes to technology, but, you know, it is that... That issue, And look, it's something I've even had a lot of tension with when it comes to Google, which is, you know, how much of a snippet are they showing? Do they show enough that means, you know, the old saved you a click type thing where they're not, you know, it's been quite common, particularly in Google News and in different aspects of searching for a general question. And they'll have little partnerships, which means they'll show you the answer right there on the page. And to a degree, that's Google trying to actually offer that service of saying, hey, if we can just answer your question and you don't need to click through, then mm. just stay here on Google and keep doing everything here here within your nice Google search bubble. So I, I think there has always been a bit of tension there over how much are they showing. Uh, and that's where I think there would be a huge ramification for Google within the Australian jurisdiction, at least, being told you have to just stop showing snippets of things and just show people, you know, the links and maybe the headline. But again, is the headline itself where there's defamatory information? Uh, that would probably then become its own point of debate for them to say, can we at least show the headline if not the snippet? Um, because, yeah, it would create a big grey area that would be very difficult to deal with.
1: And also probably quite damaging for for media companies who I imagine on some level still get a bunch of traffic from... Google, amongst other social media services as well,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. Look, you know, and that relates to the News Media Bargaining Code from just a couple of years ago, of course, where you know they said they wanted payment from social platforms and from Google because of what gets displayed in those Google News environments and in the Facebook environments, but at the same time, none of them wanted to switch it off because they know that the traffic is worth a lot, even if they were trying to sort of claw a few dollars out of those systems. Uh, Turning it off is also a non-starter for them because an awful lot of traffic comes to those platforms through those. And you're right, if you're not even getting a snippet or if Google had to say, well, we just have to shut off Google News in Australia, that would have huge, uh, yeah, flowback implications for news organisations.
1: I mean, Google as a company, I mean, search is obviously part of its legacy, but but if you look at it now, I mean, not, not even taking into account the, the wider parent company, Alphabet, which owns a whole bunch of other pieces of technology. I mean, Google searches really, when you look at it now, it's it's, it's such a, it's a jigsaw piece in what they do. And, and so much of what Google does I mean, their underlying sort of, you know, principle that they put forward in the world is kind of organising information. But that that kind of means very different things on every different service, you know, from your, your Gmail through to your Google Drive and things like that. As a company, it seems like their trajectory has been more to like kind of fill that gap between search and, and service, right? Where it's it's yeah. recontextualizing information. And so that first thing you get off the, the search result was often I mean literally I actually look over at a computer screen right now. I'm literally using Google's timer to time the show, for example. <laughs> yeah. And thank you Google for keeping that service available to me. Like, but the it feels like as a trajectory the company's moving towards being something that's more about organizing information and repurposing information and synthesizing information, which sounds very much like what a publisher does. So, I mean, you know, not to stand in the way of major legal decisions or anything like that, but do you think the idea that Google isn't a publisher, isn't a synthesiser of information, is sound?
0: Look, I mean, it relates to what I was saying before about how much they reveal in those snippets. I think it's absolutely one of those points of contention at the moment. And I think, you know, part of what was that that fair argument from news organisations about how much they show to somebody and whether that person even feels the need to click through past the headline that they've seen, if there is, you know, so much information perfectly presented on the Google page that you go, oh great, that's good. I've got enough information. That's all I needed. I mean in some ways I almost wonder if, you know, the positive result for the complainant in this particular case against Google is that it will by itself change some of the Google results around their name and de-emphasise whatever it was that they were being defamed over and actually in some ways emphasise that, oh, well, there was a bit of a, a, t- a back and forth between Google and this person. Um, and therefore, those things that they hated seeing at the on the first page of results might start to disappear to the second page. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's also... I, 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 I'm not going to say they were playing the 5D chess that I was just <laughs> suggesting they were. I was
1: going to say, you're <laughs> really like... Uh, you're making it sound like this is a much more elaborate
0: game of strategy than I think it might have been. But, you know, you're right, if you pull up, you know, the Google homepage these days, you do get. You know, you've got like images. You've got uh, search. I mean, you almost kind of the word search. You hardly know, even think of it anymore. But you know, you've got the images, and you've got sort of the news tools, and you've got you know, there's like shopping results, and there's all sorts of things, and there's a bunch of different ways that they display all this information on that page. Now, it is no longer that traditional. Here are ten links. Click to the second page if you'd like the next 10 links. It's Mm. just not what Google is anymore. Uh, And so, and of course, the first few links are always the paid links. And Google loves it if you click those ones for them, please and thank you. I shall not. I shall not. (laughs)
1: Download the show Is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. In the studio this week from ByteSide, Seamus Byrne. Uh, we are missing Kayla Cartilage from our song lines through to technical issues. Uh, we have tried to connect with her. We will keep trying to connect with her, but um, we have to keep moving on. Uh, interesting news out of the US this week. TikTok, the, uh, the social media service, which, of course, is uh, has its roots in China, uh, has said about teaching TikTokers how to manage misinformation. This comes ahead of the midterm
0: elections in the US. What exactly is TikTok doing? Yeah, so the big thing that TikTok is trying to do is uh, do a proactive education program for big influencers on TikTok around these midterm US elections that are coming up in the next couple of months. Uh, I think the really kind of positive part of this is the idea that you know that it has reflected on and of course all the social media giants have often reflected on uh you know their past performance around elections uh it is typically not very good when it comes to the kinds of things that have been spread through the platforms but in the process of not just saying well we're going to ban certain kinds of things and in the process you know it's that whack-a-mole game where they go about saying, "Let's just n- n- when we notice things algorithmically, we'll then start kicking them off." They're trying to step out there and actually educate, as we say, influencers on the platform about things like, "Here's what you can't do, you can't say, you can't take plat- uh, you can't take payments from political parties to spread messages on these platforms." Um, I think, you know, a really positive way of at least trying to say, okay, we told you, and if you break the rules, we will now actually completely kick you off the site, not just kind of remove that particular instance of you doing the wrong thing. Do
1: you think it'll work?
0: I think there's a percentage of it, you know, that will make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think every step that these companies can do to improve how well they actually deal with these kinds of misinformation problems is, you know, a percentage step towards um, slightly better outcomes in these cases. Uh, you know, I think they know that there's a top tier of influencers on their platform. And I think within that context, and I think this is something that other platforms should absolutely be doing as well, which is to say, okay, we, there's a very long tail of millions of people who put this stuff up, but if that top Couple of percent who lead to the vast majority of the resharing of things that are misinformation. You know that's and those stats have been borne out quite well on Facebook, uh, which is there's always a handful of people who are responsible for launching the most viral pieces of misinformation on the platform. Mm-hmm. So if you can proactively talk to those people and actually engage with them directly, not you know not just put out a missive saying here's what you can and can't do. Okay, we sent the email, you know, let's clap our hands, job's done. I think TikTok is actually saying that they're really engaging with these people to say this is what's okay, this is what's not. Um, now, of course, there's going to be grey areas, but, you know, I admire the the step towards doing it.
1: It's interesting. So this comes after um, the company admitted in 2020 that they they needed to do more, the 2020 presidential election in the US, yep. they needed to do more. You know, it's funny, so often when it comes to handling misinformation online, when we look at other companies, what they've done, Facebook and Twitter, um, we often end up coming back to this notion that there is a technical solution, that you can put in technology that will stop the problem of misinformation. And I guess... To some extent, that is that is true. That is doable. I mean, I know that the the thing that Instagram do when whenever Instagram censors anything about COVID, like anything at all, it puts up a little disclaimer at the bottom, particularly on stories. Yeah. I think there's there's value in that. But it does occur to me that you know when we talk about trying to tackle misinformation, the arena may be technology, but the problem you're actually trying to solve is is a psychological one, or it's 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 a human problem. Yeah. Right. And and I guess there's a part of me that goes. Very astute of TikTok to recognize that it, if it's a problem that starts with humans, clearly accelerated by technology, then you actually should start or at least make a, a human solution part of the way you tackle the problem at large. Are there lessons for other technology companies in that, Seamus?
0: Yeah, I think absolutely. And it is, you know, Facebook also recently, just in the past week, announced, you know, what its uh, efforts are going to be to improve its activity around the midterm election. And, you know, it is once again, you know, the standard Facebook answer, which is to, you know, algorithmically try to make sure that not too much bad stuff goes viral and to... <laughs> not, be- too, not too much not bad too, stuff you know. goes viral. Very <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <laughs> technical solution there. <laughs> I'm sure they're not the words that Nick Clegg used. So yeah. <laughs> But uh, but also to just say, oh, well, we're going to ban political advertising in the last week of the election, like mm. in the lead up to the election. And it's, like it's the advertising isn't... The, well, the advertising is part of the problem, especially when it can be so targeted in a really granular way that means it is actually not transparent what is even being advertised in the first place because, you know, there's a million different micro-ads that go out uh, into very specific places around the US. But, yeah, again, that reliance on just saying it's okay because eventually if we just tweak the algorithm enough, it's going to help. I think you're right that they need to at some point accept the idea that, yes, you have massive scale, but that scale requires putting enough humans into seats to actually participate in the act of Noticing where and when problems are occurring and, and move f- faster than an algorithm can, or that algorithmic referral to a human in an office somewhere who then gets given five seconds to decide yes no you know because that's how their kpis work it's yeah yeah
1: and we and we know that there are stories of like content moderators, particularly Facebook content moderators experiencing enormous amounts of actual trauma yeah because of the stuff that they see and I think there are it's probably also worth pointing out that there is a there is a human deficit to people asking them to manage and moderate content. Um, is there something about TikTok and the way TikTok works that makes this easier for them than it would be for something like Twitter? Facebook, because I mean Twitter is obviously fast Twitch, it happens at an incredible speed, right? Harder to, to manage. Facebook, just as a platform, not Facebook as a as a company, right? Facebook as a platform, it's very rich in media in the sense that you can post videos, you can post pictures, you can, you know, post annoying comments, you do it all under your own name. Is there something that within that though that presents more challenges for them? Whereas TikTok, because it's a you know, it's primarily a, a you know, it's just video, yeah, primarily. Is there something that that makes this an an easier proposition for them versus some of the other
0: competitors? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the big difference here is to remember that Facebook... Instagram, Twitter, these are platforms that are very much built around that idea of your social graph. You know, the people you've chosen to follow and that that is the majority of what is put in front of you. And that's where actually I think quite often it is a bit of a misnomer that TikTok gets aligned with those kinds of social media platforms because really TikTok is an entertainment platform. It doesn't care who you follow. It just shows you algorithmically chosen cool things that thinks you might like. And if you never, ever hit the follow button, it doesn't matter. You even do hear from a lot of TikTok influencers that the number of followers they have actually bears little relationship to the traffic that they generate on the platform. So it is about, you know, individual items being selected to be put in front of people or not. And in that sense, it is a lot easier for them to just kind of say, well, the algorithm is just going to decide whether or not this ever gets shown to somebody and so we can have much better control over those levers internally over whether or not we're going to show politically motivated content in the first place. Um, So, yeah, I think that's kind of a really big difference for them to be able to make those decisions, again, to kind of do the proactive education, but ultimately not have it put in front of people where, you know, Facebook as well in that American context, of course, you have massive influencers at whatever end of the political spectrum who have their followers who love going there to see the latest thing they want to say. And that's where you have a, a bigger difference in whether or not somebody's actually going to kind of go, you know, especially someone who might want to push back against it and go, Facebook's trying to tell me that I can't tell you what I want to tell you. Yeah, see, that, that was going to be
1: my next thing because I feel like different people have different definitions of what political independence <laughs> yeah. on a platform is and particularly in the US at yeah. the moment. I mean, like, you know... Much has been said of how polarized the US is at the moment, but I and I do, th- I mean, not to single out the US, I do actually think the world is kind of a writ large becoming more polarized. And within that, different people have very different definitions of, of, of what is fair and what is independent. Yeah. Are they running a risk by trying to uh, be arbiters of that, or are they keeping their,
0: um, their rules purely around uh, election rules? Uh, on you mean TikTok, TikTok, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think for them, again, it's you know, they want to be a platform known for just showing you cool and fun and entertaining things. And yeah, there's a bit of that you know, political spice in there from time to time that that does make it sort of go, Oh, wow, that was you know, a really interesting thing that somebody was talking about, uh, whatever it might be, but that. Emphasis on just showing you videos that are interesting in some way and that relate to other things you've clearly lingered on just enough to go oh they liked that video so let's show them a little bit more stuff that that is aligned with that um, I think it's definitely a bit easier and you know talking about the American situation there's a great example at the moment where Google is currently debating with you know regulators over the fact that uh, Republicans are complaining that Google sends more of its political email into the spam box than Democrat email into the spam box. <laughs> now, Google's kind of pointing out that it's like, well, if your stuff reads spammy, then that's kind of on you to not write spammy emails. Wait,
1: how do they know? Like, did they get a report back saying you ended up in X amount of spam folders?
0: No, I, I think... It, <laughs> I mean, I guess there's probably ways you can check what the deliverability rates are for different kinds of emails. From you you can check what's open. Like you can check when something's been open. Open rates, all that kind of stuff. So So they've
1: they've possibly kind of gone. Our open rates are lower. We've ended up in spam.
0: But, you know, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, political journalists who point out it's like, well, I'm signed up to all these different emails and boy, do the Republican emails read like spam. You know, it's it's kind of inherent to the way you're writing these messages.
1: I guess it's a little bit in the eye of the beholder too, though. I mean, like... What reads a spam to one person might read differently yeah. to another person, depending on their level of urgency over certain issues. And that, that's it. I, I was going to say I, that
0: that urgency that gets put yeah. into the messaging, things like that. And look, I even know that if I mention spam in my newsletter, then the very mention of the term can often get it pushed to a spam folder. So you do have to be really careful in a email newsletter context to actually make sure that you're using language that won't get you sent to the spam hole.
1: But what about you just really wanted to sign up to an email newsletter about processed meats and
0: tins.
1: (laughs) You just never get, you just never get the vital information. That is
0: actually a great story we need to follow up on is how does spam itself (laughs) get around the spam folder?
1: How does the spam community access their important up-to-date information about processed meats? And I use the word meat advisedly. Hey, look, staying on the story of TikTok, I know we talked about something TikTok's doing that, um, I guess, broadly speaking, seems like a positive. Uh, There's another side to that Mm. coin here on Download This Show. Uh, it seems uh, TikTok's in app browser can monitor
0: your keystrokes. So, what you're typing, how does this work exactly, Seamus? Um, it's the kind of research that you wish that when someone did it, they went, you know what, actually, it's great. Everybody out there is doing the right thing. There's nothing to worry about. Um, But in the in-app browser, so you know, when you click a link inside an app, Mm. whether that is, you know, again, Twitter or Facebook or whatever social app you might be inside or pretty much any app, Mm. and it pops up a browser, that first browser that it pops up, and so this research was specific to iPhones and iOS, but that first browser that pops up, you know, it isn't sending you out of the app to the official, you know, Safari or Chrome app, it stays within uh, the app. Yeah. And that's, you know, totally a normal part of how these apps work. Uh, and then there's often a button at the bottom of the screen if you did want to jump out to the, the full browser. Uh, we would strongly encourage people to click that button uh, when it comes to TikTok because it's turned out that uh, the researcher Felix Krauss, a Vienna-based software researcher, decided to run this check on the in-app browsers on a number of different apps uh, and discovered that uh, TikTok is in fact running what's pretty much called a keystroke logger, uh, where while that window is open, as much as it feels like you're on an external website, that it still has a layer in place where it can monitor uh, the keystrokes that you're putting in on that website. So if you were typing in a password or some kind of payment details on that website, it could measure it. TikTok's response has been, look, it is there, but we don't use it, so can we not get worried about this, please? It just happens to be in the software. This is going to be potentially an
1: unpopular opinion, but isn't that kind of what they all do? Like the in-app browser, so if you open up, a you know, one of those link in bio um, things on, on Instagram that opens up an in-app browser in Instagram, the same thing on Facebook, same thing on, um, on Twitter. I'm. If this isn't true, I'll be shocked. But
0: I just sort of
1: assumed that they all did it.
0: <laughs> and look, the fact that we are, I guess, now relatively au fait with the idea that, you know, while you are in Facebook or Instagram, that literally the speed you are scrolling is being monitored, like every every moment you linger on the screen in any way, shape, or form is being tracked as a measure of engagement around what it's just shown you. So you're right that we're all kind of thinking, well, isn't it all just being monitored? But actually, the researcher found that uh, they tested TikTok, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, Snapchat, Amazon, and Robinhood, which is an American uh, like trading platform. Uh, they found that TikTok was the only one that appeared to have a keystroke monitoring tool uh, embedded in the overlay on the in-app browser.
1: Well, that learned me then, didn't it? <laughs> um, okay, so if they're in the business of attention gathering, why... I mean, I, I don't know why I'm falling over myself to make excuses for them because obviously it's like, it's horrendous. Uh, <laughs>
0: let's try it, let's try it. Okay, okay.
1: I, I guess what I'm trying to understand is their business their business is attention. Yeah. It's about holding your attention. That would be a um, maybe not reasonable but at least explainable reason for why they would do it. Again, this is not me saying it's good things. This is just me saying, this is me trying to understand why you would have this technology in place.
0: Yeah. Would, is,
1: is that the logic?
0: Look, you know, their genuine explanation is that it is part of a software development kit that they use uh, that, you know, it just happens to be one of the features of that kit but it is unused by them internally. I mean, it's it's hard to take their word for it in that sense that there's been plenty of other things where they say this isn't a thing that's happening and then it's been revealed that, you know, that oh, data is accessible, you know, it might not have been sent to China but the data is accessible by people back in Chinese headquarters. So, you know, there's a subtle distinction but doesn't really mean that much, but I I do understand their sense that, you know, that's the nature of building apps and software these days is that you don't build everything from scratch every single time. Or I'd say companies like Facebook probably do because, again, the subtleties even in traffic management for their means, you know, every piece of code uh, relates to, you know, petabytes of data that they're dealing with uh, when it comes to serving billions of users. Uh, but I'd say it does make sense that it's like, oh, it's actually a third-party software kit and we didn't kind of mean this to be there and we don't really use it so can we all just get over it? But it sounds like turn it off if you're not using it because it's hard to trust them in that sense. But, I mean, engagement is absolutely the, you know, the entire MO of all of these companies. And actually TikTok's kind of not really nailed its uh, its business model when it comes to making money out of all the attention that it has here. And certainly, you know, influences on TikTok, uh, don't make as much money as influencers on a, other platforms because the others have that business model really clearly organized. So you would say that maybe it's sitting there, and one day they'll find some other way to use it as part of, you know, let's say it would be telling someone, hey, someone clicked your link in bio, as you mentioned, and they definitely did click on that shopping link that was attached to your LinkedIn bio, and they clicked on it via TikTok, not via some other thing that you might send them there. So, yeah, there's elements of metrics that they might try to use to say, well, we tracked the click but not the text, I'm trying, Mark. Yeah, no, I'm really I trying. I don't know why. I've, I've literally <laughs> just
1: I, I i chose it as a thought experiment to play devil's advocate for somebody that's tracking your keystrokes. I, I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, <laughs> uh, and with that, we are out of time. Uh, huge thank you to Seamus Byrne for joining me here. My... Well, thank you so much for keeping me company. Otherwise, I'd have been here all by myself.
0: Uh, look, happy to be here and again, glad to get back to being in person as well. Nice to see you. <laughs> Indeed. Seamus
1: Byrne from BiteSide and we will do our best to get Kayla Cartledge on the show in future weeks. We're going to put her in a room with a microphone and it'll work. Uh, We do apologise to Keller, And with that, I shall leave you. My name's Mark Fennell and thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show.